If you log on to Colorado Sports Guys, on the left-hand side of the page, click on the Amazon Prime banner. In that, you can get a 30-day free trial, which, which contains unlimited instant streaming of thousands of movies and TV shows, plus Kindle books to borrow and read for free with no due dates. But the most important thing, packet, as far as I'm concerned, of this is the free two-day shipping on anything you buy on Amazon. Which, you know, you could buy, you know, what, beard comb, uh, uh, you know, uh, ladle, you know. Salamander. Salamander. Um, Portuguese man-eating serpent. I don't know. Whatever. Everything. Whatever you want of it, you can get on there. But to free two-day shipping for people who do a lot of their shopping on Amazon, this is invaluable. So, you log on to the, to ColoradoSportsGuys.com. Log on. And you click on the left-hand side of the page and go to go to Amazon Prime. You'll get eligible for that 30-day free trial. Um, be sure and do that, and you'll be supporting the podcast. Thank you. We love you. From CSG Studios, high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado, you're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Jeff Morton, Ross Martin, and Nate Timmons. Second time is a charm. We're out here on the fine patio at Jake's Food and Spirits, 3800 Walnut Street. Of course, I am Nate Timmons. Ross Martin, old hipster glasses himself, is out digging around in a dirt field somewhere. You don't really know where he is. I, I believe I, I said on Twitter the the uh, Dirt Farm 500 in Nucla, Colorado. Indeed, and that sweet sound you're hearing across from me is, of course, the King of Thornton, Jeff Morton. What's up, everyone? Oh, this will be a fantastic podcast, I know, because I am the one telling you that. Dude, we're, sitting here, me. we're sitting here on October 1st. We're on a patio. Having a, a couple of beers, a couple glasses of water, had a nice burger out here at Jake's. It's a nice, comfortable evening. Yeah, that's uh, nice to sit out on the patio and just chill. I mean, the way we have our mics currently, it sounds like it's uh, uh, a PBS broadcast or something like that. It is or NPR. Or NPR. It is NPR as well. Mm. This is uh, National Public Radio for all those good people. About that government shutdown. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't really know what's going on with that. And frankly, I don't really care to know either. But I did see the Air Force maybe canceled a press conference due to it. Like the basketball team, football team, whatever the hell they got going on down there. I think the Spurs are down there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Spurs training camp is down at the Air Force Academy. But, you know, I don't really care about the Spurs either. So that's fine by me. No one one in their right mind cares about the Spurs. (laughs) So we had a nice uh, big weekend, of course, in Colorado. Denver Broncos kicked the ever-loving crap out of the Philadelphia Eagles 52-20. to Just a total bloodbath beatdown. We'll talk about that. Nuggets had media day on Monday. Started training camp today. So we'll get into a little Denver Nuggets basketball. Ross's favorite topic. Yes. Now that Ross is not here, we don't have to deal with someone in, on our, you know, on our immediately, immediate left, or my immediate left, leaving their bodies mentally. Yeah. While we talk, so that's great. Very true. But we've been out here, we were kind of shooting the breeze, uh, before we recorded, eating a, eating a little food here at Jake's. You recently just got back from a trip from good old Sin City, Las Vegas. Yeah, I was uh, in a family family reunion slash twenty first birthday party. Um, that makes Vegas. no sense. Like a family reunion, also 
they're, like your family travels to celebrate 21st birthdays? No. It I was, wouldn't want to be around my family on my 21st birthday. It was birthday. a very interesting thing. I mean, it, uh, we stayed at Hooters. Uh, hotel it gets even more interesting. <laughs> which is, you know, if you if you know Vegas, it's like right behind the Tropicana. And it's it's fun. Well, you know, it was interesting because you know, the weather in Vegas is actually better than it is here right now. It's about in the upper 80s. So we were able to swim in the pool a lot. And Hooters has a 24-hour pool. Nice. Which was very invaluable to us who were, you know, the, those of us who were maybe imbibing too much. Is that outdoor? It is. It is. They have like. Is it lit up and everything? A warm pool, a cold pool, a hot tub, you know, all that stuff. So, yeah, it's lit up. Filled with pee, no doubt. Well, I'm people sure. pee in those pools up there. I mean, doesn't everyone <laughs> urinate in a pool? I mean, come on. Um, but yes, this one, this is a long planned venture that we went on, finally went on. And How uh, many people are at this uh, 20. soiree? 20? 20 people. Yep. That's not bad. And they, it was a bit of a. And it was interesting to see the people's faces as we approached their restaurants, you know. Oh, 20 people. Son of a bitch. See, we usually go out with about 20 people for bachelor parties. So, I mean, I'm, I'm no uh, stranger to that except for the fact that it's just basically 20 guys. So that's always <laughs> harder to venture around in Vegas with a man pack. Well, yeah, this was, this was um, a mixture of guys and girls. And uh, um, all of us except one were, you know, over the age, almost 30, you know. I'm 35, so. Oh, just but. a bunch of old bastards out there, eh? Well, when you reach a certain age. <laughs> nice, man. Well, let's get into a little Denver Broncos talk. I'm, I'm guessing that maybe you caught some of the game in a sports book out there. Just play along, Jeff, right? Actually, well, actually, I did catch about three or four plays. Um, per quarter? In my room at, okay. at Hooters until the television froze and wouldn't play anything. That sounds awful. So I had to go downstairs, and of course, you know, everyone's surrounding televisions. It's really uncomfortable. It's a casino. You're not supposed to watch sports. Oh, man, I go to sports books and watch games all the time, watch UFC fights. It's like the MGM has a good sports book, okay? It's, you know, they've gotten really nice chairs. Everyone can sit in. Um, But this place did not. Really? Hooters? I mean, you think they'd almost be designed around that a little bit out there. That's a small casino, so. But I did was able to see some plays. And then I caught the recap when I got home, so I was able to ascertain that the Broncos uh, not only beat the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, they, or excuse me, Phillies. <laughs> Phillies, Eagles, whichever. <laughs> but they beat them down. They, they, yeah, they completely annihilated them, which was amazing to watch. And then the accolades that came, came in after it were just stunning, like from everyone nationally. Yeah, you kind of look at the, just by looking at the box score of the game, you see, you know, Denver 14 points in the first quarter, only 7 points in the second quarter, 21 in the third and 10 in the fourth. So, I mean, it just kind of shows you, like, how potent that Broncos offense is. And we were all, you know, I mean, think me, you, and Ross talked about how it was just going to be, you know, high-powered offense and, you know, weapons for days and Decker, Demarius Thomas. Nobody really knew if Julius Thomas was going to be as good as he is, but we'd hoped you know, the run game's coming through. There's nothing these guys can't do, and the offense is just every time they touch the ball, they score a touchdown, and it puts a tremendous amount of pressure even on the Eagles' offense, which is predicated on trying to put pressure on your offense. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, I've never seen an offense, even the 98 Broncos, which is the best team I've ever seen in person. Um, it even outstripped the efficiency that that offense has. I mean, it's just an unbelievable. And we got to say it, Nate, it has everything to do with Peyton Manning. Everything to do with Peyton Manning. 
He's just, and apparently his arm strength is unbelievable right now. Yeah, I mean, he only he was twenty eight to thirty four in this game, and it felt like his incomplete passes were due just to the receivers, you know, maybe misreading a router. I think like Decker had slipped on a play where they they ended up having a punt on a series, and that was like the only you know Colquitt Ross's boy is not going to get like any work this year. That leg is going to be nice and fresh for whenever mm-hmm. they need it. It will be. Well, I, it's going to be interesting to see because. The Broncos have the, do have a pattern of letting people hang around till halftime and then turning on the gas. Yeah. And, you know, it worked for them last year. I mean, they did the same thing last year, you know. The only time it, they didn't do it this year was against Oakland, where they just, you know, led from the beginning. But it's going to be interesting to see because it seems like once they learn where the defense is, that's when they, when Peyton knows were to attack. You know, it's like he's probing for weakness or something like that. Yeah. yeah, like the first half is almost like the beginning of a Floyd Mayweather fight where he's trying to, you know, make sure that you can't hurt him, trying to make sure that, you know, he knows everything that you're going to be able to do, and then spends the second half of the fight just taking you apart. And that's kind of what Timber's been doing. I mean, their halftime adjustments have been unreal. You get, you know, Trenton Holiday returning a, a kick in that game or a punt, you know, whichever one it was, kick. You return <laughs> a kickoff, yeah. like 104 yards or something. I mean, you get that. I mean, it's just unfair to have Holiday on the team at some point when you just have so many weapons. Well, it's amazing. Um, and he had seems to be, and I was thinking about this after I saw the highlights, Trenton Holiday seems to be that missing piece that the, the Broncos were needing. You know, he seems to be that, ex- that, that one extra thing that can't be accounted for, kind of like the, the Bears were when they had, um, uh, what's his name, Manning, um, returning kicks. Manning? Yeah. Devin Hester? That's what I meant. Oh, Devin Hester, yeah. Well, I'd even go back to just the Broncos. I was thinking of Daniel Manning, Manning, who was on the same team, but yeah, he wasn't yeah. a kick returner, so never mind. <clears throat> Forget just, what I said. I mean, we've brought it up a couple times with Darian Gordon. I mean, that was the guy that was, you know, on those Broncos Super Bowl teams that was just outstanding at punt returns. Well, and seems even like before that, you had Glenn Milburn, a guy that was, you know, he was a decent kickoff returner, but he wasn't anything like Trenton Holiday. Yeah, and the Broncos, even going back to uh, the 70s, had uh, Rick Upchurch as, yeah. a, as a good kick returner. So the two I mean, holidays approaching his record. Yeah, right now. So it's going to be you know interesting to watch. You know, and at, uh, now what I'm going to ask you since you watched the game, and I did did not. Yeah. What was your feeling on the defense? I mean, I think the overall feel of just uh, I'll speak first before about the defense. The Eagles quit in that game. The Broncos were so efficient and shutting them down on offense and scoring every time the, that they were on offense, the Eagles quit. I mean, you could almost see that they didn't even want to be out there anymore. Mm-hmm. And looking at the defense, I think the defense looks pretty good, man. I mean, the run, they looked pretty good against that. I mean, they faced LaShawn McCoy, who's been tearing it up this year. I mean, he's looked very good. He didn't seem to do much against Denver. He had some runs here and there. Passing game, couldn't get on track. I mean, you know, Brett Selleck had a few catches here and there. But, you know, there's not, Deshaun Jackson completely shut down. The Denver cornerbacks, amazing. Like, I'm, I'm concerned with Champ Bailey coming back, that he's gonna disrupt what they have going. It's interesting. That's, that's another interesting question because they've done so well covering this year, by and large, that it makes you wonder, putting Champ back, is that gonna completely mess up the chemistry back there? I mean, you really have to, it's a legitimate question at this point, considering how well they're going. Now, on the one hand, it's absurd because Champ Bailey is a Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer. <laughs> but right. he is also a 35-year-old Hall of Famer. Yeah. 
and even the great ones slow down, and you could tell last year he was slowing down a little. Yeah, and I mean, even if you, you know, you, you know, you also consider Von Miller, you have, yeah, you have Wesley Woodyard, you have, you know, Trevathan, and you have Irving that are playing outstanding at linebacker. I mean, yeah. these guys are flying around the field; they're making plays. And I, it's just, it's like, man, how how are they going to incorporate Von back into this defense? I mean, obviously he's going to come back in, start from the get, and you know, do his thing. But it's a scary team, man. I mean, it's just, it's. If it wasn't Super Bowl or bust before the season began, which it was, it definitely is now. I mean, there's nobody that looks as good as Denver. Seattle no. looks decent. But I don't, I don't know if Seattle has the offensive firepower to keep up with Denver. And I think Denver's offense can – I'm talking about a Super Bowl matchup, Jeff. It's October 1st. I'm talking about a Super Bowl matchup. The Broncos have been the most dominant team offensively I've ever seen. And this includes New England in 2007. This is the most dominant offensive – Force I've ever seen. Yeah. Now it we is. Com- I mean, we complain about Eric Decker. He's a thousand yard receiver. That's true. That's what we're complaining about. This That's guy right. is a phenomenal football player. That is really like the embodiment of first world problems, right there. You know? <laughs> right. And I, th- I think that is. I, I, it makes you wonder what I mean because remember the Broncos went through a slew of injuries in the preseason. You know they do they still champ still out. Um, yeah, Ryan Clady go down. Ryan Clady went down. That's the only thing that's going to decimate this team is if they suffer, you know, enough key injuries to where they just can't keep up. You know, if they lose, you know, some of those weapons on offense, you lose Welker, Demarius, Julius, or Decker. You know, you lose one or two of those guys, and you're screwed. But I mean, almost every team has that that same thing looming over them, so you can't worry too much about it. I, I think that if the Broncos play their cards right. They'll be coasting into the last part of the season. But you don't necessarily want that. So, I mean... That's what we saw last year, kind of, right? I mean, they won all those games, and it didn't seem like they were going to face any tests, and then all of a sudden they got in a freaking dogfight with the Ravens. Well, they won how much in a row? Ten in a row last year? So, uh, even at the end, they were still winning games, but just kind of coasting through. And... That's dangerous territory during the playoffs because it happens every every time a team coasts in. You know, it's just it doesn't work. That's what happened to the Broncos in 1996 when, you know, they were 13 and three and coasted. I mean, maybe you know, I tell you what, maybe it's the record 13 and three. No one seems to win the Super Bowl with a record of 13 and three. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I'm trying to think too. You know, like you're looking at the division and you think that you know there's talk of Kansas City, who's also four and zero. You know that they might push Denver to play longer during the season to obtain that number one seed you look at san diego another team that's been better than advertised you know even oakland was competent i'm not going to say that they were good they're competent mm. i don't know if those teams you know i, I don't think kansas City's gonna you know push denver for what 12 more games they have 12 more games yeah i don't i don't i don't know if they're gonna be there i mean kansas city yeah they look pretty good right now but I don't know. Maybe they maybe they'll push Denver. Maybe that'll be the thing that keeps the Broncos having to uh, look over their shoulders. Just the competition around them. Well, the fortunate thing is the Broncos get their Kansas City games away out of the way at I believe the middle of November and the first of December. I mean, they're like within. Yeah, two, we looked two. at that last week. It was KC, uh, somebody else, and then KC again. So the Broncos will get those games out of the way fast. Yeah, and. I don't see San Diego, even though San Diego looks quite a bit better. And Philip Rivers, we have to say that Philip Rivers looks a lot better than he we thought he was going to look, right. even though we hate it as Broncos fans. And um, 
Antonio Gates. That means having a, having a blow up year. Um, so maybe that will help, but I just don't see San Diego posing that much of a threat. And the, and the thing with Kansas City is their their defense is good, but who have they played this year so far? They played like I mean they just beat the Giants. They just beat the Giants and too. Obviously, the Giants I mean, obviously are the worst one of the worst teams in football. Right I'm kind of looking at things too. Like like Troy Aikman made a pretty good point. You know they started talking during the game about the altitude in Denver. And Aikman kind of said that he felt like during his playing days that the altitude was overblown, that it was, you know, it really kind of got, got you in the first, uh, like the first half, first 15 minutes of the game or something. He, he yeah. cited as being the difficult stretch and then you kind of get your win back. So he said he thought it was a bit overblown. And, you know, cause I've been thinking about that too and how dominant Denver has looked at home. And I want to see them more on the road and we'll get that chance this weekend. They're going to Dallas. I had, for some reason, this game totally snuck up on me. I was like, who are the Broncos playing? Dallas? Where? In Dallas? I was like, I had no idea for some reason, but Dallas, what do you think about this game this weekend? Dallas is weird. I don't, I think Tony Romo, I trust him as about as far as I could throw him. And I just don't see the Cowboys posing that much. The, the, the Cowboys just lost to the Chargers in San Diego, right? They did, yeah. And, you know, the Broncos offense is far superior to the uh, Char- Chargers offense. So, I mean, I don't know. I am so confident with this team. I, I have a hard time picking against them at any time. I mean, yeah. that's that's how much confidence I have in this team. That's a big thing too. I think Peyton's at 16 touchdowns and zero interceptions. I mean, that's kind of the Achilles' heel for teams, right? It's turning the ball over. Denver's not even doing that. I mean, that's other amazing. than Monty Ball fumbling it, you know, occasionally, this team has been turnover free for the most part. I mean, especially in the in the in the air. This game against Dallas is going to be interesting. I think Dallas has a pretty decent defense. Their offense, you know, their run game is, I think it's going to be different. Philadelphia on the road is going to be different than Dallas at home. Both teams have good running games. Dallas's run game at home should be a little bit better, you'd think, with DeMarco Murray. He put up monster numbers, you know, I think two weeks ago. But is he going to do that against Denver? I mean, that's the, that's the true thing, though, road test. Like, this is a good road test. It is It is hard. I mean, I think it really is truly hard and i think you probably experienced the same thing hard to pick against the broncos at any time they are such they've been so dominant that you look at it and you think how could i pick against them in any way shape or form people have said oh they've had a soft schedule they beat the the, the ravens at the opening night you know they uh, just beat the eagles who were looking like gangbusters after the first game of the season you know yeah and they've won two games so right. you know who knows yeah, and it's, I mean, all, basically all we're doing is drooling over the Broncos. I mean, there's, there's nothing else to do but to fawn over them and, you know, crown them as regular season champions right now. I mean, they just look that good. Can you pick at anything? I don't think so. I mean, the only thing you brought up, you know, the defense and you brought up, or I kind of talked about the run game with McCoy last weekend, looked a little bit weak, but at the same time, you know, the Broncos are, it's the biggest cliche, bend but don't break. You know, they'll give up some plays here and there, but they just seem to, come through and they have to defensively special teams is great matt prater you know he hit a i think it was a 53 yard field goal looks like it would have been good from 70 i mean that oh, thing yeah. at the top of the net i mean there's just nothing you can really nitpick with these guys i mean people tend to be not trusting of that sort of thing too right you know it's like there's a lot of there's an element of too good to be true sometimes and but i was feeling this all the way back in the off season i think we did a podcast about this and i i as soon as they signed Wes Welker and 
it just it had a different vibe about it. And sometimes you can pick up on a vibe. It just had something different about it this year. And I listened to the old uh, the Boston sports guy, Bill Simmons himself, was talking. You know, he's like, New England seems to know when you know a player's done, and that's probably why they let Welker go. They know something that we don't. And it's like, what that this guy's still a hell of a football player. I don't care if he's done after this season. As long as he gets it done right now and the Broncos win a Super Bowl, that's fine. But Walker... Walker has, what, seven touchdowns now? Yeah, he looks... I mean, he's still in the prime of his career. He's still... Even if he's, you know, maybe a little bit past his prime, he's still better than, you'd have to say, any right. other slot receiver in the NFL. I mean, you could tell... <laughs> listen, I, I, mean, I love Brandon Stokely. Love Brandon Stokely. One of my favorite players of all time. But he... Obviously, you could tell the enormous difference between Wes Walker... And Brandon Stokely. I mean, right. it's just like night and day. Yeah. I mean, there's just nobody that that's, I don't know. I mean, I I love everybody on the team. <laughs> that's all I can say. <laughs> like every time, you know, you have Demarius Thomas, who's just an absolute monster, and they throw those little, you know, kind of one-yard screen plays, those little wide receiver screens that are just amazing. You know, offensive guard or the offensive tackle pulls out, picks up the corner, Demarius goes for 15 yards. Sometimes he takes it for 80. It's just a thing of beauty, man. That thing is one of the most impressive things I've seen they do. Because, um, that thing? <laughs> that thing. Because he is able, for some reason, to bust that out for 80-yard gains. Just, I, I mean, and do it himself and pull away from people. You That's know? the other thing, too, is Manning's not having to throw the ball, you know, 60 times a drive. He's throwing the ball... You know, a little 15 yard pass or a five yard pass, a one yard pass, and the receivers are getting 30, 40 yards. I mean, these guys after the catch are amazing, especially Julius and Demarius. Those guys, I mean, they're just beasts. Those guys are huge. Yeah. And they kick ass. And well, the Thomas, the Thomas, Thomases, it's like they're related, but, um, yeah, the Thomas boys. They, you know, Orange Julius and, well, I don't know what they call, what does, does Demarius have a nickname? I know him and Decker go by Black and Decker, but I don't know if you want to use that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Black and reality show. Um, and it's just they, they are so big. And people had, I got to give it up to Mario Ventanze because he, he had he was on Julius Thomas a long time, a long time. Yeah, saying he'd be a he great, great guy, and you know, and, and he's turned out to be. He's made Joel Dressen obsolete. The only way that, true. the only way Dressen plays is if it's a blowout. Like we saw, we got to see Brock Osweiler play. We got to see Joel Dreesen play. Monty Ball didn't play until mop up time. I think that's kind of a slap on the wrist for his fumbling. But also, Ronnie Hillman looked very good last week. He looked good against the Eagles as well. So he's kind of starting to solidify that number two. No, Sean Reno looked very good against the Eagles, who don't have a great run defense. So it'll be interesting to see how. You know, the run game does in Dallas, like I said. Looking forward to a road test from Denver. I, I am, too. And it, 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 this this is a rare feeling, folks. And I, I said this in, on Twitter on Sunday. This is a rare, rare feeling. Enjoy this. Because in this NFL, with where every team is, you know, not necessarily great, this kind of just absolutely absolute greatness you're watching and that's that's what you can call it greatness is a completely rare and you should enjoy it as much as you possibly can because who knows how long you'll be able to see this sort of thing very true well buddy let's take a little short break let's come back and talk some uh, nuggets media day all righty all right
and we're back. <laughs> and we're back. We just took a short one. Talked a little Denver Broncos not about to break into the old Denver Nuggets basketball team. Celebrated media day yesterday. Training camp started Tuesday, October 1st, whenever you're listening to this. That's when it started. <laughs> anyway. Whenever you choose to download this. It was Tuesday, October 1st. Yes, um, indeed. I was actually at media day. Jeff was on an airplane heading back from Las Vegas, Nevada. So you were unable to attend. I was, and but I wanted to get really the the kind of the lay of the land from you, as we are NBA experts. Yeah, so. you almost have to go through it like individually. Like <clears throat> I kind of want to think about what what Tim Conley was was asked about and talked about. Tim Conley and Brian Shaw spoke uh, together before we were taken upstairs or before we went upstairs to the practice court and met with the players. Um, you know, Conley was asked of a, a lot of questions about you know how why did you build the roster this way. How has JaVale McGee matured from your time in Washington until you've seen him now since you've been away from him for a few years? You know, who's going to play? Uh, who's been the most surprising player? He actually said Wilson Chandler has been uh, one of the most impressive guys that he's seen thus far. Yeah. Um, you know, so just kind of getting into what Conley was talking about, you know, he was, he got into JaVale a little bit and talking about his maturity and well, how. Yeah, let me stop you there because I kind of wanted to know what. Um, his the lay of the land. Lay of the land. I'm going to keep using that. What the, what they think about Javale and how they envision his role going forward. Yeah, and it really sounded like. Well, let's just start from the team level. It sounds like you know Brian Shaw is not willing to say that the Nuggets are going to be a worse team than they were last year. He's not ready to concede that they're not going to win 57 games. I think he may have used that same language. You know, he's not conceding anything and. You know, and, and Tim Conley kind of spoke the same. It sounds like they want to see what they have in this roster, you know, before they look elsewhere. But Conley also said that the team was going to be very aggressive. So, you know, we've seen him already, you know, traded the starting center in Costa Cufas, uh, made the signings of Nate Robinson, Randy Foy, JJ Hickson, Darrell Arthur, the trade, you know, so they have been aggressive already and Conley's shown that he's been aggressive. Um, I don't know what that's going to mean for this team because, like I've been saying, they have log jams at power forward. They have a log jam at point guard. So where is this team heading? What direction are they going? We still don't have any answers to those questions, even though Brian Shaw kind of hinted at a little bit what he wants to do uh, on offense and on defense. My, you know, you said you, you, you said a buzzword that always irritates me when it comes to teams talking about what they what they want to see. And, and specifically, it is we want to see what we have in JaVale. It is his sixth year in the league. Right. I mean, how many times are you going to go through the mantra of saying, we want to see what we have in a specific player before you know? Yeah, and it really feels like that, you know, I, when I talked to JaVale a little bit at Media Day, you know, he's he's always very short with the media. It's uh, it's You can tell it's a, a bother for him to have to talk to anybody. He doesn't like doing it. Uh, I think it's... You know, partially because he feels he was burned in Washington when he was there. He's constantly made the butt of jokes on, you know, shacked in a fool, all that stuff. I don't blame him for disliking the media. Yeah. I do kind of wish he would give, you know, some of us in Denver a little bit of a chance to get to know him and get to tell his story because, frankly, you know, turning, a, turning your chin or I, I don't know, whatever. Nose. Yeah, turning your nose at the media isn't doing you any favors. I mean, not that, you know, guys are going to think differently about you or write differently about you but they do you know they're not going to we're not going to be able to know the true JaVale like well, I don't think people go after JaVale here but he doesn't give people a chance if if you don't give people a chance to know you 
they're never going to be able to advocate for you. Right. You know, and if you don't get, if, if you always have a wall up, they're going to think, well, this person has a wall and they're going to, and, and if he doesn't, if he doesn't care about yeah. me, why should I care about him? Why exactly. am I going to go talk to him when I know he's not going to give me anything? And it, you kind of get the feeling that, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's weird because you hear from his teammates all the time how funny he is, how, you know, nice he is, how smart he is. We don't see any of that. And it's unfortunate. You know, and I, I heard from people that were, that attended his event here at Jake's, how great he was, mm-hmm. how great he is with the fans. Even after games, the guy's throwing shoes into the stands. I mean, he's awesome. He's awesome to the fans. Dislikes the media. Well, you know, some people it's are tough like to that. blame him. Uh, if you remember on um, our uh, a podcast we did with Sandy Clough, um, he talked about Alex English not having a great relationship with the media because he didn't we didn't want to bother with him. And you right. know, and I think that some players are like that, you know. But in the grand scheme of things, and this goes into what you were talking about with Connolly wanting to see what they have in the roster and all this stuff. There comes a point where it just becomes an eye roll kind of statement. By and large, you know what you have in most of the roster. There's three players you don't. So how will they approach from there is the interesting question. My theory has always been that they are plugging holes. And they're just plugging holes for now and then seeing if this is a... This is a theory. This is just my theory. That seeing it, if later this is a candidate for blowing up yeah. the roster. And I just want to mention, too, with JaVale, you know, I mean, when you when you talk to him about the game, like I asked him, you know, what were you working on this summer? And he'll just say, mm-hmm. mid-range, worked on my mid-range, post-game. And it's like, if you're not able to tell me or to speak about the game of basketball, I get the sense that you have no idea what you're doing out there. Well, this is the this is the thing. We would hope that he, and then this is true. I mean, I mean he's, not gonna, he's not going to be. Able, you hear from guys. I'll talk to guys in the locker room that tell me about you know footwork. They'll talk to you about you know switching defensive schemes, offensive schemes. And when you talk to a guy like Javale and he gives you one word answers or one short sentences, it's like, how are we going to rely on you to play center when it doesn't seem like you know about the game of basketball? Well, and hopefully my long-awaited the Kemi Matumbo article is coming out tomorrow. Like I mean, Wednesday, October second. Um, hopefully. And, and in that, you really get a sense, and I'm drawing a correlation between what the Nuggets are doing now with JaVale McGee and what the Nuggets did with Dikembe Mutombo in 1992. When they went from Paul Westhead's up and down, extremely fast paced system. You think Mike D'Antoni's system is fast. I mean, I mean, the Nuggets at that time were just go shoot, go shoot. You know, it was unbelievable. To Dan Issel, who slew, slew, Slowed the game down, slowed the game down, and basically told Dikembe to to work on what he's best at, and then everything else will come. Right. And has anyone been in Javale's ear and told him to do the same thing? Has did, Brian Shaw said that? Yeah, and I did ask Javale. You know, I said, you know, have you have you spoken with and has Brian Shaw spoken to you? Like, has Brian Shaw told you what he wants out of you? And have you you know communicated with him? You know, what you want and how you want to play. And he was like, yeah, he talks to me about, he talks to me about what he wants me to do. And, you know, I'm, I'm cool with that. And it's like, what is that stuff? <laughs> Maybe he just doesn't want to tell you, but it's give like, God, something. dude, I know please there's, give me something. yeah, it's like, I know that there's, you know, so much more to you. And it's like, please just let's talk basketball. You know, it's so hard, but well, Roy Hibbert, I mean, I learned, learned. Okay. They talk about this verticality rule. 
which has always been in the NBA, by the way. And they say that, oh, they, well, Roy Herbert Hibbert learned it. Well, okay. All that requires is jumping straight up. Okay. It doesn't require, you know, rocket science to, to, to get that. You don't have to, you don't have to have an advanced degree in analytics to get that sort of concept. I'm wondering if they said the same thing to JaVale. He said, like, learn verticality. Don't go for every block and all that stuff. But the, the problem is, I want to hear, and yeah, like you're saying, I want to hear more definition from JaVale. Because, you know, you don't get to follow players around. You don't know exactly what they did all summer. But I'm not getting the feeling he worked too extensively on any of those things. But you never know. I mean, he does. He is, he is a very hard worker. And you can just see it, you know, in his body. I mean, he's in tremendous shape. Uh, you know, he, he did talk a little bit about his asthma, about how he feels like that's getting... You know, a little more under control, and he thinks he's going to be better in that department. I don't know exactly what he did, you know, but again, you know, Brian Shaw spoke about, you know, he was asked about positions, and you know, if he saw Matt Moore asked him about Wilson Chandler, does he think that Chandler is going to play more of a perimeter role in Shaw's system, or if he's going to, you know, use him as a stretch forward? And you know, Shaw said he really likes traditional centers, likes traditional power forwards, so he envisions himself using Chandler in a perimeter role. You know, so I think that's good news all across the board for the Nuggets who've seen Chandler trying to play center in the playoffs against Andrew Bogut. Yeah. You know, as long as we're going to see, you know, JaVale at center, Timothy Mozgov, you're going to get to see Darrell Arthur, JJ Hickson, and Kenneth Freed battle it out. And Brian Shaw, he, he described what he wants out of Kenneth Freed, and it really sounded like he was wanting him in a bench role. I mean, he, he described, he, he wouldn't say that. He said that, you know, Freed has the inside track to start. But he did talk about, you know, Kenneth playing well in short bursts and imagine that energy going in there for a short burst of time. And, you know, then you bring another guy in and he's coming at you. And then you go back to Kenneth and he's coming back at you with that energy. And it's that like, does sound like a bench thing. Doesn't sounds it? like a bench yeah. player. <laughs> yeah. Well, I believe when you and I were down at Pepsi Center for draft day, Tim Connolly made a comment about people having concern about Kenneth Freed and JaVale McGee playing together. And he said that that was something that they were seriously looking at, which leads me to believe that maybe, I mean, this is me reading the tea leaves, but maybe even though Kenneth has the the inside track for the starting center job, or starting four job, and JaVale McGee has the inside track for starting center, maybe we're reading a little too much into roles that were attained in the past, you know? Yeah, and I mean, Shaw and Conley both said that. I believe Shaw said that uh, one of his first answers was, you know, we don't have allegiances to any of these guys on this roster, so nobody's, you know, guaranteed anything under us. That's good. Well, you know, and, and, and that fans respond to that, and I think that's what they want. Um, another question would be, um, you said you spoke to Daryl Arthur. Uh, and how Darrell did he... Arthur. Darrell Arthur. Don't call him Daryl. <laughs> Darrell Arthur. So what kind of vibe did you get from him? What what was he saying about his off off season workouts and all this stuff? Uh absolutely loved Darrell Arthur. I mean he was he was fantastic. I mean he's it was really funny because when I talked to Ty Lawson I was asking guys, you know, tell me one thing new about one of your new teammates. And when I when I came to Ty Lawson he said that I'd already spoken with Darrell. And Lawson said that he hadn't heard Arthur speak at all. He's like, I hope he comes out of his shell. He seems like a real quiet guy. When I talked to Arthur, I couldn't get the guy to shut up. <laughs> Not that I wanted to, 
But I mean, he was really, he was that. I mean, he was just talk, talk, talk. I mean, he was really cool. I was really impressed with him. I was really impressed with how he looked. Um, you know, he was, you know, mentioned two or three times that he was down 20 pounds. He said when he tore his Achilles, he ended up, he gained about 30 pounds. He was close to like 250 when he was playing last year, just about to 250. Uh, he said he's lost 20 pounds uh, since he's been in Colorado. He's been working out here since August. Guy looks fantastic. He he hinted at the fact that Brian Shaw, you know, has him working with perimeter guys a little bit. He was working on his three pointer. Yeah. He says he's been working on ball handling stuff because he does see the Nuggets. Arthur said this. He said he sees Denver playing some some bigger lineups of him at small forward and Wilson Chandler at shooting guard. So that was pretty intriguing to me because that would be a pretty badass lineup. You go Lawson or Robinson, whichever. You go Lawson, Chandler, Arthur. You know, Fareed and Javale or something. I mean, I think that's kind of cool. I kind of yeah, like the, that. Yeah, but I, I don't know. That, that's that's not a lot of offense in that lineup right there. Oh, that's a lot of offense. It's <laughs> offense for days. <laughs> you talking about? <laughs> say, Lawson, do what you do, and we'll go get some offensive rebounds for you. Yeah, that's that's you fine. Got Wilson Chandler shoot forty percent from downtown. Yeah, but that's 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 it. And you got a you got a three spot that's not known as a scorer. Well, that's the thing is, you know, it's so interesting to know what Shaw's going to do offensively. You know, again, he was asked about the triangle and. You know, he alludes to the fact that, you know, all these different coaches, it's like, name, tell me the systems that these other coaches run, successful coaches, you know, and it's like, yeah, you can't really, nobody's tied to a system, so sh- we shouldn't expect Shaw to be tied to a system, but again, the thing that worries me about what may creep into the Nuggets offense is the mid-range game. I, I mean, George Carl hammered on it so much last year, and you look at stats, the mid-range shot is the worst shot in the NBA. It's the lowest percentage shot. You shoot a higher percentage from three-point land and at the rim. I mean, those are the shots you want, but that's probably not what we're going to see in Denver. We're going to see more of an all-around game. We're going to see the mid-range game come back to the Nuggets, I think. Well, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because you have two players that are going to be on the Nuggets, Chandler and Gallinari, who actually have good mid-range games. So it's like maybe that's not necessarily – I mean, if they're efficient in the mid-range game, there's no sense But it's an inefficient shot. Yeah, but but if they're in, <laughs> the whole thing. but if they're efficient in in an inefficient shot, that means they're efficient. So I mean, it's like it's like who was the best mid range shooter in the Denver Nuggets? Well, like one of the best was Dan Issel. Okay, mid range, fifteen to twenty feet, boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. You know, the English is good at there too. Yeah, and and well, and English is closer in too. But there is there is a lot of things that people are missing because people get analytics crazy. And yeah, they, you, I, you know, I, you tend to think, okay, if the Nuggets take a hundred shots in a game, oh my God, what if Brian Shaw has ninety of those be mid rangers? I mean, that's just not that would happen. never happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like it's like you listen to some of these analytics people, and it's like that all people do is take two mid range shots. That really is not if you like you take the shot that's available to you. That's it's like a seesaw, is. you know. Somebody says something, and then all of a sudden, it's you know that one's weighed on, and then. It's not weighed on. It's crazy. I, and I and I think there's an overvalue of that. I wanted to ask you today. There was a quote at camp where Brian Shaw was talking about when Gallinari comes back playing Chandler at the two with Gallo at the at the three, um, which actually kind of belies the Arthur at the three. Yeah, <laughs> Chandler at the, I mean, <laughs> I would even say that you know Wilson Chandler looks skinnier than he did last year. Oh really? And you could almost say that. Chandler looks skinnier. I thought JaVale still looked pretty big. Uh, J.J. Hickson is not as big as I thought. Like, he's obviously tall, but he's not 
like a big imposing big man. He's mm-hmm. not like a huge power forward. Like, you know, you think Carl Malone, you think of these huge muscle bound guys and, yeah. you know, Hickson's a big dude, but he's not huge. But I think with Chandler, you know, I think he could probably, you know, play a little too. I mean, that would just be a very interesting lineup. Again, you're looking at, you know, something like Lawson, Chandler, Gallo, uh, Fareed and McGee or something, you know, or whatever. Or maybe even Hickson and McGee, um, you know. Right. There's, there's some defensive issues on the new players that the Nuggets brought in. But let's say this. I think one of the best lineups that Nuggets could put out there is actually Nate Robinson, Wilson Chandler, Danilo Gallinari, and uh, maybe either alternating Faree Hickson or, or McGee. Or let's, let me tell you, let me just get, right, get out with it right now. I don't think there's any guarantee that JaVale McGee starts. Yeah. Year. I mean, Shaw said that too. He said that he's not guaranteed the spot. He's, you know, going to have the inside track on it, as he likes to say, but he said if, so if Mozgov outperforms him, he outperforms him. There's or if somebody else they does, kept, they do. There's a reason they kept Timothy Mozgov over Costa Kufus. And maybe that's because they like what, because Timothy Mozgov has a pretty okay mid-range game. He really does. He um, really does. And his problem has always been fouling. He it really just, has. He, he's, <laughs> I don't know, you know, who teaches him things, but I mean, you got to teach him not to foul people. But. He's also kind of said, you know, that he's used his fouls more, knowing that he's only going to be out there for a few minutes, so he's never going to foul out of a game. He's like, you know, I got six fouls, I may as well just go clobber people, basically. Yeah, and it's and maybe that's how George used him too, but I'm curious because he is tougher. He's a tougher center than Javale. Javale's JaVale more athletic. A, he made an interesting statement, Javale did, where he said that Brian Shaw hasn't, uh, I can't think of the word, um, put any restraints on him or something like that, where it's, it's like, I really do think Carl was like, Carl's, his whole object with big men was stand out of bounds, rebound, set screens, roll to the basket. And, you know, Brian Shaw, he said he wants to run that inside-out game. He wants to, you know, throw the ball down into the post and be able to mix it up more traditionally, um, which, you know, like we know from watching those 94 Nuggets, it works. Well, that was the biggest change Dan Issel made, and that's another another thing I wanted to bring up because Dikembe Mutombo, you can't – people suffer in comparison to Dikembe Mutombo because he was the most fundamentally sound defensive person for his time in the Nuggets and in the Hawks than I'd ever seen. It kind of deteriorated pretty remarkably after he got out of the Hawks. But in, during that time, when he came to Denver, he was like thirty years old. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and uh, but during that time, he was the mo- he had his fundamentals were natural, and and Javale just doesn't have natural fundamentals. He relies completely on athleticism. Yeah. Can you teach basic fundamentals to someone who doesn't operate that way? You know. Who doesn't really operate within that stricture? Because the Nuggets' approach going into '92 was they completely they slowed things down and they made it inside out with Alfonso Ellis and Dikembe Mutombo. And the Nuggets, unfortunately, don't have a Alfonso Ellis and they don't have a Dikembe Mutombo right now. Right. You know, Alfonso Ellis was an athletic freak who had a lot of innate talent on both offense and defense. Farid is. Got bursts of things, yeah. <laughs> but he does not solid, and and of course Javale McGee is, well, a lot of spectacular. Some hit spectacular hits, and a lot of spectacular misses. And I, I wrote about it 
you know, on Denver Stiffs about the, the shooting guard spot. You know, what are we going to see there? Um, just in talking with Randy Foy, Randy Foy is awesome. Like he's, he's fantastic to, to speak with. Mm-hmm. Uh, really talks about the game well, really understands, I think, you know, he probably just understands talking to the media. He knows kind of what to say, but he's just a real, he's a real person. He seems like a pretty chill guy. Um, I think he's definitely, I think he's going to start at shooting guard to, to, to open up the season unless, you know, Shaw starts Chandler at the shooting guard and starts Darrell Arthur at the three, which I guess could be a possibility. But I, I really do worry about the development of Yvonne Fournier. I really do wonder, you know, what's his role going to be with this team because it seems like Randy Foy is the perfect, you know, three-point specialist. Um, but what's your goal? We we heard that it was Josh Kroenke. Part of the reason he, he didn't want Carl around is because he wasn't developing younger guys. Well, if Brian Shaw, is he going to try to do that same thing because he's a first-year head coach and he wants to win games? Is he going to forget about guys like Quincy Miller and Jordan Hamilton and Fournier in, in order to, to stack some wins for this team? Well, it's an interesting thing. What is development? I mean, is it right. is it just putting people out there and letting them play, or is it actually teaching them? And you making know, them earn it. And making it. I mean, let's face it. George Carl didn't teach these guys much, you know. He left things to his assistants, and his offensive approach and his and his approach to big men specifically was lacking, and his mistrust of young players. Yeah, you have to earn it, but was he teaching in practice? Is always wanted to know. It has nothing to do. I think. Think. I think the play like just let him go out there and play is kind of overblown. I, I think developing means teaching, and I don't think George did a lot of teaching in practice with these guys, and I think he just focused on how many players it would take to get him to win, like Gallo, Try all those it, guys. Whoever yeah. understands the system is going to play, and focusing on the best players done. is what yeah. he was doing. Yeah. So if you if he was ignoring them and not teaching them, that's one thing, you know, because I don't think you just force a square peg into a round hole here and just force a player out there. It's just it's not not necessarily worth playing. You, know? you almost get the feel, too, from talking with Brian Shaw that he is more of a teacher than he is a coach to some degree. There's something about him that's you know a very inviting personality, a very calming-natured guy, and it just seems like that he may – this probably isn't the case, just a, a harebrained theory of mine – that he may care more about teaching the game of basketball to people than he does – Maybe winning basketball games, but I think teaching translates into winning. Well, it's good. I mean, I would like to see what he does with Gallinari when he comes back, because I've always felt that they're going to try to do put him in a place where he's not as um, prone to injury, you know. And I've had my theory that they're going to that that he's going to need to develop a post game in order to do that because he's big. Well, he also in New York. I mean, he wasn't asked to be a playmaker like he was with George. You know, yeah, George really true. saw that side of his game and and brought that out of him. So I do wonder if, you know, what Shaw's going to do there. Is he going to you know take the ball away from Gal a little more, where George's offense required Danilo to you know get the ball to the three point line and drive to the rim, mm-hmm. where Shaw's offense may call for Gallo to you know shoot more when he catches the ball. You know, so he may not face those kind of of injury challenges. Maybe as frequently as he would in a, in a George Carl offense. Well, you never know. I mean, there's a lot of different things that can go on, and, and we hope as the, the Nuggets progress through camp, things will start becoming clearer. Because this is the most up in the air team I've ever dealt with. I mean, I'd have no idea what's going on. Yeah, because I mean, we really, you really knew 
you know, when we when we changed from Jeff Bezdelic to Michael Cooper, and then finally to George Carl, you know, everybody kind of knew that was coming for a while. Yeah. That you knew you're going to get with George, you yep. know, and now you just with so much change in the front office and with the coaching staff and even the team, you just don't know what you're going to get. Oh, Melvin Hunt's still there, right? Yeah, Melvin Hunt's still there. Yeah, the coaching staff. I don't know if that's ever really been announced. You know, it's going to be obviously Brian Shaw. You're going to have Lester Connor as one of the lead assistants. You're going to have Melvin Hunt as a lead assistant. You're going to have Chris Farr, who's a tremendous player development guy. Uh, Damian Lillard credits him with, you know, helping him get ready for the NBA draft. That whole summer they worked out together. Uh, I believe that uh, they worked together again this past summer as well as DeMar DeRozan. Um, I think it's going to be a really good staff. Of course, you know, missing out on guys like Chad Iskey, Ryan Bowen. Uh, there's still no, as, as, as our, you know, Andrew Feinstein would note, there's still no true big man coach that has a big man pedigree. Um, and I don't totally know if that's important or not, but, you know, Andy always seems to think it is. And you see other coaching staffs that have, you know, big man coaches, Patrick Ewing, um, God, all sorts of them around the league. Yeah, that's it's so curious to me why the Nuggets don't have one. You know, it, it doesn't make sense to me because uh, you would think with as many premium or well, quote unquote premium big men that they have, that they would at least try to teach them something. And I don't, I don't. Well, I don't maybe know we're uh, maybe we're underestimating Brian Shaw in that right. way. Maybe maybe Brian Shaw has more of a uh, depth of knowledge of big men that we know about. And maybe he just, you know, it goes back to that whole teacher thing. You know, maybe somebody on this staff, whether it's, you know, Shaw himself or somebody else, maybe they didn't know how to teach the big man better than whatever former stiff you could find out there. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you bring just because Blair Rasmussen seven feet tall, does that mean he knows how to teach big guys how to play? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> well, the only only person, people that I can think of, well, it's been floated out there, but it was never happened. But the only person I could think of to send the Nuggets to is Dan Issel. And, and the horse, the horse. And I, I think he's sufficiently rehabilitated his image out here. But I mean, I think that he's the only one I can think of offhand, but I don't think the Nuggets are interested in that. I just, I mean, after so many years of this, it just doesn't seem that that is a track they want to go on. Yeah. So, uh, before we kind of shift segments here, I want to bring up this. What do you think about Russell Westbrook's, uh, setback? With his injury today, man, that's that's absolutely crazy. Um, Russell Westbrook, if people don't know this, um, had a had swelling in his knee caused by a stitch. Yeah, he had a torn meniscus last year from Patrick Beverly in the playoffs, and then yes, yeah, swelling in his knee caused from a torn stitch. Yes, on the inside, and then somehow that leads to arthroscopic surgery, which means he's going to miss four to six weeks of the regular of season. the regular season. And let me tell you something, folks: this happens regularly. With meniscus repair and ACL repair. And I wanted to bring this up for one reason. The Nuggets have gone out of their way to compare Gallinari to Danny Granger. One of the reasons Danny Granger didn't play last year is because he suffered setback after setback after setback. Right. With his injury. They wanted him back, but he just, he couldn't do that. But they're making this comparison, but Danny Granger, as far as I know, got surgery. Right? And Russell Westbrook got surgery. As far as I know, Gallo didn't have surgery. He just had arthroscopic, I believe, to just clean things up in there. And I believe that was it. Well, he did have he did have a ligament repaired, but it wasn't the ACL. It was something else. I'd have to look it up. But he did have, I think he had two different surgeries on his knee. Yeah. Well, no, he did have, they did repair one meniscus, I believe. And then they yeah, repaired right. another another thing under there. 
of which I forget. Mm. The Guggen Blobber. Yeah. Yeah, whatever that thing is. <laughs> but they left the actual ACL undone. Yeah. And it wasn't a full tear, which is, anyway, uh, but he had this treatment done that's only been done by professional skiers before. Uh, we know. And they're using this comparison, <laughs> and I'm thinking, usually the guys who have the most setbacks are the ones who have surgery. We can't really judge correctly how Gallo is going to come back because, frankly, what he's done, I don't believe has ever been done before in the NBA. I think he is the first person to get this type of treatment. Yeah, I think it's really where the Nuggets, I would say, have to prepare to play without Danilo Gallinari for the entire season. You know, you saw it with, you know, Ricky Rubio coming back here and there and playing a little bit. You saw Derrick Rose sit out the whole season. You saw Danny Granger have a setback. You see Westbrook setback. You just don't know. You don't know when he's going to be able to come back. So you have to prepare like he's not going to play, even though he is here. We saw the pictures of him uh, at training camp today, and, and he is learning the system. And heck, he could come back, you know, in December. But I do think that they need to prepare for life without Gallo this year, if it, you know, did happen to come true. If it did, and like I said, it's we just you just don't know. And Part of you thinks that there is a difference in, in view between what Gallo wants and what the coaching staff wants and what the Nuggets want. Are they being overly cautious or is he being overly optimistic? You know, you never know. So it's one of those things. This is going to be going on for a while, too, because, you know, if someone, if a player is out there saying that he thinks he's going to be back in late November. <laughs> right. <laughs> And the team's like, we don't know when he's going to be back. Yeah, and they're like, well, maybe you two should get together and talk. Yeah. And come up with something because this is, you, you know, you guys aren't talking to the same people. A united front always looks a little bit better yes, than it does. player versus organization. Yes, it does. <laughs> so that should be interesting. Uh, I, just speaking about the Westbrook injury, too, the optimist in me wants to say, what if OKC gets off to an incredibly slow start? Nuggets get off to a fast start. Well, if the Nuggets can somehow... Win the Northwest Division. <laughs> that's, uh, Give me that's, those wins. That's incredibly optimistic. As we've seen with most of the previews, including uh, your buddy Matt Morris, the, most people have not been very high on the Nuggets this right. year. So, And they've been very high on OKC. And, mm-hmm. you know, if Westbrook misses four to six weeks, I think that's still going to be somewhere in the 12 to, at the highest, maybe 18-game range, something like that. Why are they so high on OKC? They didn't get better. No, they didn't. I mean, you could you could argue they got worse. <laughs> I I'm very perplexed by this. I've been seeing this too, and I'm like, yeah, but they they still are without James Harden. They lost Kevin. Martin. They lost Kevin Martin. You're going to be really depending on you know the Jeremy Lamb to step up into a starters type minutes role, and I don't I don't know. I guess we'll yeah, yeah, whatever. We'll see what happens with them. But all right, buddy. And the books. Let's wrap this bad boy up. All right. We got a lot of uh, Nuggets coverage coming up on Denver Stiffs. Of course, we'll be talking about it right here as well. So keep uh, downloading the podcast. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we'll see you guys on Thursday for Gamblers on the Storm.